You are listening to Highlights from One Planet's podcast interview with Ben Pring, the co-founder of Cognizant Center for the Future of Work. It's interesting, yes, and as you point out, they are young people who have certain skills, but uh, young people have a, a intelligence and imagination. But of course, you know, wisdom does come with making mistakes and experience. And as you say, how do you program that wisdom in is if one has not yet had the experience to do that? Mm-hmm. And and I was thinking about it. I had a conversation about in terms of AI, how do we impart our human values or what gives life meaning? And someone said to me, oh, that's stupid because they're, they're not thinking about that. I said, well, it's a stupid, simple question, but if we don't ask it, and if those, if what we value is not what the machine learning system values, if they have values other than, I don't know what it would be just to win or to just keep on going, mm-hmm. uh, then we're going to encounter massive problems. Yeah, no, I think, again, if you're, if you're um, a critic uh, or if you want to critique Silicon Valley and tech of the last 20 years particularly, I mean, I think that is a very valid, uh, the core of a very valid critique is that this is typically very young people. There's a f- phrase in Silicon Valley, they use single purpose engine. You're a single purpose engine. You, all you do is one thing. You write code. And they don't come as well-rounded you know, human beings who've, as you say, got wisdom and experience and knowledge and um, the capacity to think broadly. They're single purpose engines doing one thing in extraordinary ways. And and they've been encouraged to do that by the ecosystem around them, by the funding that's been pumped into them, by people whose whose only motivation is simply to make more money. And you can see the results of that. You can see the results of that in the world as this technology has grown from a sort of little acorn now to being the biggest sequoia in the forest. And it's, it's, it's you know, shading every other tree. It's taking all the light. It's taking all the energy from the forest. And it's distorting so much in the world. Now, I love technology. I've always been in tech. I, I think tech is ultimately a force for good. And I think ultimately... You know, there is a good news story. We'll work our way through this problem as we've worked our way through all sorts of problems through history. But there's still a lot of people who are enthralled to technology and, and certainly the sort of environment, the, the regulatory environment of the last 20 years has been, we don't really know what these young kids are doing. It's kind of interesting. We should just let them get on with it. And again, there was logic to doing that 20, 30 years ago, but there's less logic to that now. But of course, grappling with what's going on to your point, ensuring that bias isn't coded into algorithms and and all sorts of um, broadly deleterious things for society don't occur. That's that's going to be the work of the next 10, 20, 30 years. And um, it's going to take more than just the techies to figure this out. We're all going to have to figure this out to build and to you know develop and maintain and extend the society that we want to live in you talk about is one of the premier threats of the internet right now, which is deep fakes. Um, and so my question is, you know, as of now, we've certainly seen a lot of really good deep fakes, but it doesn't seem like we've had an issue yet where, you know, there's this deep fake that's believed for a long-term amount of time and there's these massive negative ramifications of it. So my question is, is this because deep fakes just aren't, they're still a little bit in an uncanny valley or is, does the age of the internet allow us to, you know, disseminate a deep fake and say, no, this is not real faster than it can really take over? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think it was, it, this is still very new technology in a way. It's been just sort of developing the last three, four, five years. 
I think we haven't seen some evil or you know a bad actor try to do what you're imagining is going to happen yet. But I'm probably going to say to you that it's going to happen one day soon, and it might not be a deep fake of uh, Joe Biden saying let's let's begin bombing China right now, but it might be a deep fake of your boss uh, sending you a little FaceTime video message. Can you? route that money to this new routing number. So it's going to be something lower level, kind of lower order. But I, yeah. I, I think I think we're going to see things like that. Now, of course, again, in the yin and yang of this, the black hats versus the white hats, there's a lot of work going on to put in place kind of watermarks, un, un, unhackable watermarks. So you're going to have in the next generation of DRM, digital rights management, abilities to try and um, you know be able to delineate between a deep fake and a real thing. But yeah, it's extraordinary. And it's sort of funny at the moment when you see the, the Tom Cruise ones or the Steve Buscemi ones. But yeah, I, I, I imagine we're going to see something a little bit more uh, nefarious than that probably sometime soon. My, my philosophy on life is that there's a lot of people ask me, are you, are you a dystopian? Why is the book so dystopian, Ben? Uh, or conversely, people have asked me, why are, you, why are you utopian, Ben? You're very positive about technology. And my answer to that has always been, you know, we know in history, we know 100 years ago that the world was full of awful things, uh, war, pestilence, poverty. The world, in a way, is, is a much better world today than perhaps that 100-year-old person was born into. But at the same time, 100 years ago, people fell in love, created great works of art, got drunk, had a good time. So the, the past was, was a utopia and a dystopia. If you think about the, the present, the world is full of awful things, many of the things we're talking about, but people fall in love, create great art, get drunk and have a good time. So if that's logically true, that the past and the present was, was full of good and bad, why do we think that the future is that either going to be a utopia or a, or a dystopia? It's not. It's going to be full of good and bad. People are going to fall in love, get drunk, create great art, but we're going to be surveilled and we're going to have all sorts of awful things like deep fakes, destabilizing the world. So I think if you think about it in that way, I, I've never been nostalgic for that hundred-year-old person's world that they were born into. I mean, read Thomas Hardy and or Charles Dickens, or any of the great you know, writers of history, and you can see how awful the past, you know, lots of things in the past were. Uh, lots of things are awful today, and lots of things will be awful in the future. But at the same time, technology is creating in medicine, in the distribution of education, in the distribution of art, lots of incredible new possibilities and taking us to the sort of the next level of lots of things. And Again, as a sort of rational human being, I think you're one's individual job and then my corporate job, if you like, as a sort of thought leader for a large corporation, is to kind of acknowledge the limitations, the downsides, the dark sides, to celebrate the positivity, and then to try and sort of manage both of those, to, to not get too carried away with the good, not too carried away and depressed but with the bad, but at the same time, not uh, sort of argue that the bad doesn't exist and we should ignore that. Because again, I think that doesn't serve anybody, you know, ultimately particularly well. We've, you could argue we've had 
peak literature, we've had peak opera, we've had peak rock and roll, we've had peak cinema, but we haven't had peak tech or peak science. Uh, we've still got huge mountains to climb in those disciplines. And I think the existential fear journalists and politicians who typically tend to be non-math people have is being expressed in this, oh my, my God, but, you know, what are we going to do? How am I going to beat the robots? Because I, I can't go that route. I can't compete with these people. Uh, and so you're right. So AI itself, the development of AI itself is probably... The, the the fulcrum at the moment, the, the, the crucible at the moment of incredible creativity. Uh, I know uh, people will know the name Dennis Hassabis, who's the founder of DeepMind, which is this company in London that Google acquired a few years ago that were behind the AlphaGo program with, with a machine playing a human player of the, the, the game Go. There's a Netflix a documentary about this that people may have seen. Dennis Hassabis is one of the most creative people I've ever met in my life. I think I've met half a dozen people who I would, I would certify as genius level people. One of them was Robin Williams. I used to run a comedy club in London in a previous life, and he came to our club two nights. And being in front of him, you know, 10 feet away on a stage, that was like Da Vinci level genius, seeing him riff. Demis Hassabis, I think, is in the same uh, uh, class. Just absolutely extraordinary intelligence, taking the world to a place it's never been before. That's creativity. It's not putting paint on a, on a canvas or writing a new symphony, but to claim that isn't creativity, I mean, I think would be absurd. So, no, I, I completely agree with you, Jensen, that there's a stigma, if you like, still uh, against technology, the sciences, math, somehow they're not as seemingly as um, prestigious as, as being a, a great novelist, a great film yeah. writer, a great pop star, great opera singer. But uh, no, the world is now running <clears throat> increasingly on technology, on math. And I think we're going to see incredible creativity. Uh, In closing, you know, you identify some of the most pressing issues of our time. And I was wondering, uh, we're thinking a lot also about the future and the kind of world we are leaving for the next generation. How do you prioritize some of the issues and systemic changes that you think needs our most urgent attention? And what what are some lessons that you've learned along the way that you think are important to, to share with young people? Uh, what would you like them to know, preserve, and remember? No, that's a lovely question, lovely way to, uh, to frame it. I think my sort of reaction to that, me and the way you frame that is, it's, it's always been the case through history. It's a, one toggles as an individual between the macro and the micro. And then the macro systemic issues you touched on, obviously, you know, probably most people have a pretty good sense of those climate, uh, wealth inequality, geopolitical macro tensions in the world. We see Monsieur, Monsieur Macron at the moment <laughs> upset with America and Australia and Britain. So those are very real issues. And ultimately, I'm a big fan of, of the famous book and movie, Dr. Zhivago, which if, if people know is set in the Russian revolution and it's a story of how, you know, a nice person, nice people get sort of caught up in, in big macro waves, 
that they can't control, nothing to do with them. And I, I always think in a way that we as individuals are just like little kind of ships on the sea, little sailing ships on the sea. We can't control the waves. We can't con- control the tides and the weather. So in a way, I think it's it's wonderful that young people feel energized and motivated to agitate around some of these uh, systemic issues, climate change, equality of opportunities. It's wonderful. But at the same time, I think one shouldn't overlook the micro elements in this, the micro responsibility. I certainly in my, uh, my journey, my personal journey, always tried to uh, I was going to make a little joke about um, this, Mia. I've always tried to be funky. Not not funk, but funky. I've always tried to mix different things. I've always seen that as the route to sort of differentiation. If you put two different things together in a way that other people are not doing, you differentiate yourself and you create a new path. And so rather than just being a lawyer or rather just being a doctor, I've tried to put strange things together, different things, music, creativity, technology together in a way that other people have done. One of my big heroes is Brian Eno, and he's one of the exemplars of doing that, I think. And so I I think in that micro story about oneself, thinking about oneself, thinking about one's own, own journey as a young person, I mean, that would be my simple advice. Try, try and make it funky. Try and make it different. Try and be creative. Try and, but don't, don't think that being creative, as Jensen was saying earlier on, is just being a painter or just being a potter or just being a, a, a movie uh, screenwriter. Think about introducing creativity into other areas of life, other funky areas of life. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.